0: Welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 35. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing Destiny 2 Shadowkeep, Neocab, What the Golf, and 80 Days. So Destiny 2 is back with its big autumn update. Also, 80 Days has been re-released on Nintendo Switch, and I've got an interview with John Ingold from Inkle Studios to talk about 80 Days and a busy year for the studio. So it's a jam-packed week. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and having a good week. I'm good this week, having spent a busy week travelling around the UK. I started up in Glasgow, went to Manchester and now I'm back at This Week in Video Games HQ in London there so it's been a busy few weeks of gaming with a game release schedule bursting at the seams with top games coming out almost daily. Now, I seem to have caught a little bit of the lurgy from my travels so apologies for my voice on this episode. Um, but anyway, that's enough waffle from me, let's get into what I've been playing these last few weeks. These last few weeks have been super fun with the release of Destiny 2 Shadowkeep, Neocab, 80 Days and What the Golf. I've been looking forward to Destiny 2 Shadowkeep for some time. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know I'm a big Destiny fan. So I'll give you my impressions of the game this week, as well as a roundup of all the changes to the game with it going free-to-play. I've also been playing Neocab and found out what it's like to be an Uber driver in the near-future Neon world, which is very, very cool indeed. I got the tip from John Ingold, who I interviewed related to the 80 Days release on Nintendo Switch early in October. So this week, I speak to John about 80 Days, but also about Inkle Studios, and what he thinks about Apple Arcade, and the streaming future for video games. John is a fantastic interview, very engaging, full of knowledge and experience, and you can check out that interview later on in the show. Finally this week, I've been playing What the Golf, which is a crazy new golf game with surprise mechanics, packed full of references to other video games. But first up this week, let's get into Destiny 2 Shadowkeep. Listen to the
1: shadows They whisper
0: death Welcome, we've been waiting
1: It knows we're coming I can sense it You know that thing that goes bump in the night Become that thing
0: Destiny's annual yearly update is upon us, and this year we're going back to somewhere we haven't been since the end of the original Destiny. Destiny 2 Shadowkeep isn't as big as last year's Forsaken expansion, however, Bungie are leaning more into the MMO features of Destiny, and even though the expansion isn't as big, it could be just as significant. And don't forget, Moon's Haunted. Destiny 2: Shadowkeep is year 3 of Destiny 2, and it takes us back to the moon location and on a trip down memory lane through various activities while driving forward the story and the lore. So this is Bungie's first big release since the split from Activision earlier in the year, and it gives them the opportunity to show the audience what they're all about. So Luke Smith has been clear about the vision and the direction of the game by saying an action MMO in a single evolving world where you can play with your friends whenever and wherever you want. So it's an ambitious vision that acts as a good north star to where the franchise is heading after a year of correction through the Forsaken expansion. Destiny 2 Forsaken had some great content. The menagerie, last wish raid, exotic weapon hunts, the introduction of their first dungeon, a move back to random roll weapons and sandbox tweaks. And that's turned around the state of the game in the best possible way, much of the work correcting the errors of Destiny 2's initial launch. Where Destiny 2 Forsaken was a correction, Destiny 2 Shadowkeep is starting to look ahead where Destiny could be in the future. So Luke Smith gave a great account of it in his Director's Cut articles in the summer months about the state of the game. So I'm not going to repeat all that content here. But if you are a big fan of Destiny and you haven't read these articles, then I thoroughly recommend it. And I've got a link to it over on thisweekinvideogames.com if you just find my Destiny 2 review and you can find a link to Luke Smith's articles there. There's a bunch of changes in Destiny 2 Shadowkeep, including Armour 2.0, Sandbox and UI updates, we've got New Light, the Battle Pass, the Seasonal Artifact, and also the Season Structure. So first of all, Destiny 2 New Light is a new free-to-play version of Destiny 2 that's going to be available for all players for free on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. So if you're new to Destiny, this is a great place to start, and this package includes... The first year of the Destiny campaign content. You've got access to all the patrol spaces including the Tangled Shore, Dreaming Cities and the new Moon patrol space as well. There's Year 1 exotics, Year 2 exotics, Year 2 activities including Gambit, Gambit Prime, Black Armoury, The Reckoning and The Menagerie. Uh, You've got Gambit and Crucible Private Matches. The first campaign mission for Shadowkeep which is a nice little taster for the Year 3 content. You've got new Shadowkeep Strikes and Crucible maps. All Crucible Maps modes and the upcoming Iron Banner, which starts on Tuesday, uh, new Armour 2.0 and finishers, as well as a free tier of the season pass. So, there's a lot there, and if you haven't got into Destiny before, now is a great time because there's a lot of great content and it's all available for free. On PC specifically, there's big changes due to Bungie's split from Activision. The game is no longer available on BattleNet and uh, now it's available on Steam. So if you're a PC player, then you'll have to migrate your account from Battlenet to Steam, and instructions for that can be found on thisweekinvideogames.com. Again, just check out the Destiny review and the link can be found there. So this migration to Steam and the new free-to-play aspect of Destiny 2 New Light will likely mean a huge influx of new players. This is great for veterans who may want to pick off some fresh fish in Crucible or Gambit, but not so good for Bungie DevOps as we could see during the Destiny 2 Shadowkeep launch. So the game launched successfully, but it was only up for a few hours before having to be taken down for emergency maintenance, leading to queues of thousands and quite long wait times. Since the launch, there's been sporadic server issues too, with hotfixes and patches going out. This is all understandable given the influx of new players, so Destiny 2 is also coming to Google Stadia sometime in November, meaning you can now play Destiny 2 on the go, a long dream of many who've wanted to visit Zur, a weekend-specific vendor, while away on a weekend. So Destiny is also changing its access to seasonal content and to a more a la carte model. So whereas before you bought an annual pass, um, which you got Destiny 2 Forsaken, Black Armoury and Season of the Drifter and Season of Opulence, that was last year. Now you can pick up the seasons individually if you want to. So in year three of Destiny 2, we're getting four seasons, which works out to a rough three month schedule. So Destiny 2 Shadowkeep is the overarching name for this year's content, so that's October the 1st until probably around next September. However, starting this week was the season of Undying, which is Vex themed. So... Included in your Shadowkeep Keep purchase is Destiny to Shadow Keep the Story Campaign, which is very, very good. So, you've got the new raid and a new dungeon coming as well, which uh, the last dungeon, the Shattered Throne, was awesome. Uh, we've got new end game activities like the Vex Offensive and Nightmare Hunts. Uh, we've got new exotic quests and the premium version of the Battle Pass, where you get more rewards early on. So new to Destiny 2 is the Battle Pass system where you can level up through XP gains throughout the season and earn rewards as you go. So this has been successful in other games like Fortnite and Apex Legends, but it's something we haven't seen in Destiny before. It makes sense now that Bungie is the developer and the publisher and they have to make their money back somehow. So Luke Smith went on to describe it in the summer, how they invested some of the money gained through the Eververse skins, which is the kind of in-game Destiny shop. For example, the money they earned by providing a custom skin for a sniper called Whisper of the Worm, that went into directly funding the development team behind the Shattered Throne Dungeon, which was a new raid-like activity for a three-person fireteam. So this kind of transparency went down really well with the community, and now Bungie has severed the cord between themselves and Activision, they're hoping that the Bungie fans will be more likely to part with their money if they can clearly explain the value that Bungie intends to deliver. The Battle Pass comes in two flavours, you've got the free or the paid for version, so you can earn everything on the Battle Pass for free, however it's going to take you longer to do so, or you can pay for the Shadowkeep expansion and get some rewards early, like the new exotic hand cannon, Ariana's Vow. As well as rewards, the Battle Pass gives more meaning to XP levelling in the game, and this is leaning more into the MMO aspect of the Action MMO that Luke Smith described earlier in his vision. So Bungie's also introduced the seasonal artifact in Shadowkeep, which allows you to unlock season-specific mods and gives you a power boost to your gear. So the power gains are unlimited too, which means for hardcore fans they can keep grinding in theory and get more and more powerful. However, the hard cap for the moment for the season is 960, and when the seasonal artifact changes at the end of the season, and those unlimited gains are going to go away, so that's something to be aware of. So this season's artifact is called the Gate Lord's Eye, which is Vex-themed due to the Season of Undying. It's a nice new mechanic which introduces seasonal changes through mods, which allows Bungie to experiment. And if the experiment doesn't work, it's not too late until it's reset. So another change is Armor 2.0. And Bungie's introducing a transmog system whereby you can put on universal ornaments on your armour and therefore change the appearance of the armour without changing the base stats of the gear you've equipped. So this should give you more freedom in how you want to look. Once again, Bungie is leaning into the MMO aspect of the game here and reintroducing stats from the original Destiny including intellect, discipline and strength allowing you to further customise your gear and create builds that affect the way you play. Both of these changes together will allow you to customize the way you look as well as the way you play. So it's a dramatic shift from vanilla Destiny 2 and a welcome one. PvP is also getting a revamp as well with changes to the director. Gone are the quick play and competitive modes and been replaced with classic. So you've got control, clash and supremacy. There's 3v3 and 6v6 control and survival. Probably 6v6 control is where you want to start if you're new to Destiny 2. That's really the template kind of PvP mode and uh, where I have the most fun. Bungie has brought back a trials-like 3v3 elimination mode, but want to get feedback from the audience before promoting it to a true playlist in the director. One of the upcoming seasons in the next year is likely to be focused on PvP, hopefully Lord Shaxx. So we'll wait and see what happens then to see if they're going to overhaul PvP. All in all, there's a lot of significant changes and rolled together make for a vast array of improvements to Destiny 2. Destiny 2 Shadowkeep story campaign is relatively short but it's full of lore. We go back to the moon and meet up with Eris Morn who's made a discovery below the surface. Throughout the campaign we face off against foes we haven't seen since original Destiny days and although there may be some recycled content complaints, I really enjoyed it myself going through the campaign and facing off against foes like Omnigal. Fogoth and Crota. I missed Oryx, but uh, his daughter did make an appearance. Eris Morn is also one of the most interesting characters in Destiny, and was a welcome return to the game. The endgame in Destiny 2 Shadowkeep is likely where you're going to spend much of your time. So we've got a new Vex-themed raid, we've got Nightmare Hunts, which pit us against old enemies from the past, and this new Horde mode called the Vex Offensive. The raid certainly is a challenge, and was the subject of a very enjoyable world's first race on Saturday 5th of October. Clown Ascend took it in roughly 6.5 hours, which is much shorter than the last Wish raid from Destiny 2 Forsaken, which I think came in about 17 hours. So that's roughly about where expectations were for this raid, so that's all good. The Vex Offensive is a new six-person match-made activity where fire teams take on waves of the Vex in a new Horde mode. The raid signalled the start of the Vex attack in the solar system. And at the same time as the raid kicking off, guardians were directed towards the moon in an in-game prompt. So once you complete a quest, you can access the Vex Offensive, which is a nice repeatable activity to play again and again. And it's really nice that uh, Bungie are kind of changing up and creating this kind of living world. Because this this week, at reset time, uh, Ikora Ray in the tower, she's kind of building some kind of portal And uh, it's all related to the ongoing kind of Vex Offensive. So yeah, Bungie doing a really good job creating a kind of uh, always updating landscape. Really, really good job, Bungie. So in summary, Destiny 2 Shadowkeep is a great expansion offering improvements in nearly all areas. The expansion isn't the same size as last year's Forsaken. However, they did set expectations as such and, uh, and have set Destiny in a new direction leaning into its MMO features it's unknown at the moment if a Destiny 3 will be coming, with many from the community wanting Bungie to drop the 2 and simply call it Destiny again. However, with new consoles coming out and the current game locked at 30 FPS on current gen machines, Destiny 3 is tempting. What is clear is Bungie is now free from Activision and free to make their own future. And this is the first release in a post-Activision world. And the MMO changes so far have delighted the hardcore community. It'll be interesting to hear feedback from new players and see how they take to the game. But from this Destiny veteran, you've got one happy customer. So the game is developed by Bungie. It's available on PS4, Xbox One, PC and soon-to-be Google Stadia. And Destiny 2 Shadowkeep was launched on October 1st, 2019. And I gave the game a final score of 86 out of 100. What do you think of Destiny 2 Shadowkeep? Send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or tweet me at TWIVG Podcast on Twitter. I'd love to hear, especially from those new light players, to see how you're getting on with the game and see once you kind of get past the first mission how you're kind of onboarded into the game because I imagine it could be quite complex and quite confusing. One thing I should note is I do have a Discord server so if you want to play destiny 2 shadow keep with me then uh, check out the link in the show notes and uh, hop in join the discord there's a destiny 2 channel there we could do some strikes together do some pvp together be really good to hang out so that's it for destiny 2 shadow keep next up it's neocab <laughs> on her way to the big city. She wants to reconnect with her best friend and continue building her business. However, quickly her friend disappears and things get frantic for Lena as she tries to juggle her passengers and the dangerous world of Neocab around her. Neocab is a narrative adventure game where you take on the role of Lena, an Uber-style driver who owns her own business in a neon near future called Los Ojos, where human drivers are held with some scepticism. Tech giants are out there trying to eradicate human drivers, seen as a danger by some in society. The main mechanic in the game is picking up passengers, talking to them and learning about their stories before dropping them off again, for a little money and trying to keep your rating above four stars. So the life of a modern day cab driver. Passengers won't make it easy for you. I had one guy who got in the Neo Cab drunk. He was immediately sick in the back of the cab and then refused to acknowledge it even happened. <laughs> He blamed the previous passenger and spent the entire ride debating if it was even there or not. To top things off, he gave me a one star, the bloody cheek. Technology is front and centre in Neocab and it tells the story of a future we're not too far away from ourselves. So early in the game, our best friend Savvy gives us a gift that tells everyone around us our mood in a kind of glowing colour. All in the name of openness and transparency. So you've got red meaning angry, blue meaning sad, green meaning chill and yellow meaning positive. So throughout the game you have to manage your mood, making sure you're not too extreme on any scale. Get too tired or hungry then your mood is likely to swing to the extreme and this will affect your interaction with passengers. As well as giving a visual representation of how Lena is feeling, this can also disable some options when talking to passengers. So it's a nice mechanic in the game and the colourful artwork that goes along with it fits into the neon world really well. So Capra is the big bad technology company in the game and simulating Amazon, Google and Facebook in the real world. So you'll have political and social debates with passengers but don't push it too far as your star rating will be negatively affected. The story of a big evil corporation isn't a new one but this feels close to reality here and asks us to consider the relationship we have with technology and perhaps what the outcomes will be if we trust a single entity with our data the way that we do now. Much like TV shows and movies that have explored the same space, Neocab offers us a glimpse into the near future and we have to ask ourselves, do we like what we see? So Neocab does try to cover a lot of topics throughout the game in a relatively short time. You've got the gig economy, capitalism, consumerism, conservation, they're all covered but it felt like the subjects were kind of skim-read rather than covered in depth. The graphics and the sound in the game are really good and they paint a picture of a near future that doesn't seem too far away. Somewhere between Fifth Element and Blade Runner, bathed in pinks and purples and blues, the world of Neocab comes to life in a gorgeous way. The writing is thought provoking and complements the art style and the audio painting a world in which these characters inhabit. It's a well put together package that invites you in and grabs hold of you immediately. In summary, Neocab is a fun adventure, and it's a nice take on the narrative mystery adventure game. The topics covered in the game feel relevant and fresh, without feeling too far-fetched to feel irrelevant. The writers could have perhaps chosen to go in-depth on a topic rather than rush through many, however, the game is worth checking out and is a nice indie surprise. So the game was developed by Chance Agency. It's available on Nintendo Switch, and on Apple Arcade as well, on macOS, iOS, tv os ipad os and also on windows 10 and uh, the game originally came out on october 3rd 2019 i gave the game a final score of 76 out of 100 so what did you think of neocab send me an email and podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or tweet me at twivg podcast on twitter so if you're enjoying this week in video games podcast then head on over to itunes and leave us a nice review it really helps get the word out about the podcast so if you've got access to itunes then i'd really appreciate it if you give us a nice review don't forget this week in video games has a youtube channel that goes alongside with the podcast youtube channel's got the entire archive of the podcast as well as dedicated reviews interviews features and also how-to guides Search This Week in Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all the latest content. And if you want to see anything specific on YouTube, send me an email to podcast It'd be great to hear from you. So next up, I got together with John Ingold from Inkle Studios to talk about 80 Days as it's released on Nintendo Switch. Plus also, what's going on with Inkle Studios after a busy year this year. What with the release of Heaven's Vault earlier in the year and the re-release of 80 Days. So... So let's get to that interview with John Ingold. Okay, so welcome back to This Week in Video Games, and I'm here with John Ingold from Inkle Studios. So welcome, John. Thanks for having me. Really good to talk to you, and uh, it must be a busy week this week with the release of 80 Days on Nintendo Switch. How's it going? Yeah, it's been really exciting for
1: us. I think um, for different reasons. Part of the company are massive Nintendo fans, and this is our first ever thing on a Nintendo thing. So their they're, they're brand loyalty has shot them through the roof. Um, for me, I've never really played Nintendo that much, but it's just a really nice, Form factor, so it's been quite lovely releasing 80 Days again and giving it some new people and having some people who played it in the past kind of come back to it and go oh yeah, this game's still nice Um, I think one of the things I've always loved about the games that we make is that they don't age at all, really Um, 80 Days first came out five years ago the Switch version looks, plays the content is much the same as it ever was, it's just optimised for the new buttons that the Switch has but it still looks really crisp and really sharp Um, It doesn't look like a game from five years ago. So it's been quite nice to pull out an old gem and kind of polish it up and and bring it out to the light again. That's been really lovely for us.
0: For our listeners who haven't um, come across 80 Days before, could you give us a brief overview of 80 Days? Sure, yeah. So the one-line pitch is very easy.
1: Uh, You are the servant to phileas fogg a british gentleman who has wagered that he can go around the world in 80 days and it's up to you to make sure he wins his bet the twist is that when we say you can go around the world we really mean you can go around the entire world and the entire world is in the game there's about 200 different cities you can go on there's something like 500 different ways of traveling from city to city and every single one of them contains an adventure or multiple adventures or characters to meet or people to fall in love with or discoveries or secrets or mysteries or murders or all sorts of stuff, an entire world's worth of content. I think when we started writing it, we didn't really realize quite how big the world was. And we sort of discovered by the end of it, that the world's really quite big. Um, But, what it means is that wherever you go, and whichever way you go, and you can be strategic, or you can be intuitive, or you can play ruthlessly, or you can just bumble around exploring and ignore your master's complaints that the bet is going very far south. It's entirely up to you. But wherever you go, you will be guaranteed having a really interesting, fun, quirky, charming adventure. And I think one of the things that you see in a lot of the reviews of the game, which I really like and really speaks to me about what we were trying to do with it, is whichever way you go, it feels like every route is is just as good. It doesn't feel like there's a route you're supposed to take and then there's some side quests or filler content. Everything feels valuable. And that's really what we wanted to do was create a world where whatever you did and wherever you went, you got something amazing even if what you found was quite rare or quite hard to get to or quite obscure or really commonplace and everybody sees it. Um, so it's an adventure. I think that's what we like making at Inkle. We, we try a lot of things and we're interested in various technical things and various storytelling things. We get quite pretentious at times, but when it boils down to it, we just like making good fun adventures and I think 80 Days, that's what it is. It's like if you take a whole load of adventures and distill them down and squeeze them into a game and then say, there you go, have a great time.
0: It, it's its really fantastic. I, 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 I sat down with it and instantly I was drawn in by the text and the 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 way that you present the world to the audience i I think is wonderful Uh, and and the game mechanics as well so i was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the mechanics in the game like managing your budget and uh, the luggage and things like that
1: yeah so on the surface of it it's kind of a light strategy game we always thought of it as being a bit like a board game so you move from city to city and as you explore and talk to people you find routes that you can take and every route has a cost in terms of money and it also takes a certain amount of time so you might find a faster route that's kind of quite grueling um to your health perhaps or quite expensive or you might find a slower route that's sort of cheap and then you have to balance those trade-offs. But every route will take you to a different place and then those will take you to other different places. So you might be trying to work your way over to a particular city or, or looking for a shortcut and you might try and find your way using these routes. So there's that kind of strategic planning. There's also an inventory system or, or really it's a trading system. You buy things which are... You buy things cheaply in one city, which are worth more money in other cities. So then that gives you an incentive to try and get to a particular city to sell something, to make some money so you can afford some faster travel later on. And I think what we were trying to do was make mechanics which are all really narratively expressive. So it's all about traveling. It's all about tickets and routes and traveling being tiring and difficult sometimes or easy and comfortable at other times. And you had to balance all of these things while keeping on moving as fast as possible because that 80-day clock never stops ticking. It's The time is always moving um, and you're always kind of chasing against the time to try and catch the next connection as fast as possible. Yeah, and that's kind of how it works mechanically. It's a bit hard to describe though because it's not a lot like very many other games. There is a trading system, but it's not like you set up trade routes and go backwards and forwards like you might in a strategy game. And it's sort of a race game, but... Yeah, it kind of borrows a lots of little different things and then throws them together, mostly in the way that we thought was the most fun to play.
0: <laughs> so. I, I think it, I think the way you've done it, the the blend of mechanics is is really nice. And uh, um, it, having played a couple of other uh, of your games like uh, Heaven's Vault, um, mm. it, it feels like an Inkle game. So I think it's I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely a brand which is the Inkle brand and. I I don't know quite what it is exactly but I think maybe the heart of it is that we we like what the player is doing in the game to be the same as what the character is doing in the story and if the character is doing something in the story then the player should be doing it so we tend to avoid cutscenes or things that happen automatically or characters speaking without your control um and also abstract mechanics we try to avoid those as well so if you're traveling around the world you're picking timetables and routes and planning routes and organizing your luggage but you're not doing a match three game at any point um we we, we try to avoid that we try to make everything feel like it's all part of the same the same adventure but i don't know we just think about stuff a lot <laughs> everything we <start laughs> takes ages um and we just try to yeah, we try to make sure we really know why we're including what we're including. And I guess that's the Inkle brand. I don't know. All
0: right, it's brilliant. And um, so do you have a, a favorite route around the world in 80 Days?
1: Oh god, there are so many of them. Um yes, I've got loads that I really, really like. Uh there's a couple that jumped to my jumped to mind. So I I co-wrote the game. Um Meg Gianth, um, who's an excellent writer, wrote the bulk of the start of the game she sort of set off on this journey of exploring what the game was going to be like and then when the world got so big I started to fill in and and wrote a few few routes after her but it meant a lot of the time we were receiving content from her and then I was kind of getting it into the game and getting it working and I remember when she sent us the trip to the North Pole which was an update that we did around Christmas time after the game came out and things get quite dangerous at the North Pole things get quite risky and it's it's possible for your journey to end to end there in, in tragedy. And I remember reading that storyline and it was just brilliantly written the way that that kind of comes to a close. I was in a Starbucks here in Cambridge and I was editing it and it brought a tear to my eye and I was crying in Starbucks as I edited this (laughs) content. I thought, wow, this is amazing. I'm actually genuinely tearing up. So that's one of my favorites just because it was so powerfully done. Um, but a lot of Meg's content is so varied, and some of it, it was really wonderful. There's a very slapstick boat where uh, Fogg attracts the attention of two women who both try to seduce him. And it's completely ridiculous, and it's madcap, and Passepartout tries to prevent his master from doing anything untoward, but ultimately fails, And that was a lot of fun to write, and I enjoyed, enjoyed um enjoyed that sorry not to write to to edit i enjoyed that one immensely of the stuff that i wrote my favorite is the trans-siberian express where you can fall in love with a mongolian princess um (laughs) that, that was a lovely one for me because it's it started with a character that meg wrote who was just a side character but who i liked so much i kind of built this romance for um because it felt like the right thing to do. And it was all based on a story that my grandfather, who who's dead now, but he was 105 when he died. And he told me a story about taking a steamship to America um, and meeting He was a married man and he met this woman on this boat and he accidentally fell in love with her, stuck on a boat. And he, the way he told this story was so, it was so charming and so Victorian and so romantic that I had to get a bit of that flavor into the game. And so I did in this trans Siberian story. And that was the most fun for me to write um but there's just so many little bits in there that I can't even remember all the bits I like anymore
0: that's uh, that's amazing and that makes me want to go back and play through the game again and go on the uh, <laughs> trans-siberian express to find find the end of that story it's well worth it i think but <laughs> <laughs> and um what was it like to work with such great material
1: yeah it was thrilling actually um because the the interesting thing about 80 days as a concept is everybody has heard of around the world in 80 days but very few people have actually read the book so everyone has a sense of what it's about and and the sort of stories and adventures that you're going to have but no one actually can pick you up on whether it's accurate or not nobody really knows so you get this incredible freedom to write something that people feel quite familiar and affectionate with straight away and so there's so many things you can riff off. You can do the one where Fogg's a very stiff British gentleman, a Victorian gentleman trope. And then you can do the stories where he's sort of ridiculous or comic or angry or loses his temper. And that feels like you're playing off against it in a different way. And then there's all the multicultural stuff that we put in because the original book is very much attempting multiculturalism through a lens of not really actually knowing anything about various cultures around the world. It's, it's not a very well-researched book. Um, no insult to Jules Verne he was writing within its, within his context, but it was quite fun pushing that envelope out much much further and using like the fact that we know about the world now in a way that they didn 't in the in the eighteen hundreds really um, and it 's just such a broad canvas. I remember when we started the writing process with Meg, the first piece of advice that we gave her we 'd just finished writing some of the second sorcery game, which was quite big. Um, was, she said, well, how do, how do I choose what to write? And I was said, just, just write everything. Every idea you have, it'll go somewhere. Just write absolutely everything. By the end of the game, we had this list of things we wanted to do that we hadn't done yet, and we just kept shoving them in. So, you know, there's a card game, there's a boxing match, there's there's a con man, there's, you know, all, and so on and so forth. And there just was no end, really, to what we could get into it. So it, it was so much fun and so free, just writing whatever we felt like. Um, but always within this tone and somehow it hangs together <laughs> it was quite a magical <laughs> time
0: <laughs> and um, well, it, it's absolutely fantastic and like I said I'm, I'm already looking forward to go back and, and play it again and um, you mentioned some of the team there um, are big fans of Nintendo um, I was wondering uh, what, what the kind of challenges of bringing um, uh, 80 Days to Nintendo Switch so it's I think one of the challenges for us was just the whole idea of
1: putting a text-based, a reading-based game onto a console because it doesn't feel like a natural thing to do. I mean, I guess visual novels do this all the time, actually, but but they don't have quite the density of text that we have because um, we really do have quite a lot of just reading Um I remember for me, we took the game to a, a demo, to an to an exposition, to one to a show, and we put it up on a TV. And that was the first time when I saw that actually having a nice big screen with these words on was actually quite comfortable and people could play it in groups. And, and that was kind of what be, got me personally thinking, oh, maybe this could work in a console setting. But I remember um, Joe Humphrey, my co-founder at Inkle, took a bit more convincing that it would really work in that, in that setting. Um, but I think a lot of it was just, just actually the sheer joy of getting to play with the switch form factor. So it has that play by TV setup, which is quite nice. But also when you play it with the with the sticks and you're rolling that globe around using thumbsticks. And mm. we spent quite a lot of time on on just the little haptics that the Switch can do, the little rumbles and vibrations so that the globe feels a little bit weighty. So you're like you're rolling a marble that starts and stops and just getting the momentum of that. And that's the sort of thing that um we're a company. We don't. We don't ha- We're a company that's got coders, but none of our coders are really just coders. They're all into other things. They're into game design and they're into UI design and aesthetics. But they both love f- sort of nice feedback, nice UI feedback, and making things feel really polished and chunky. So um, it was Tom. Tom Kale, who worked on the bulk of the haptic feedback stuff and he just had such a good time making the globe feel solid I think that was a real that was a real pleasure and a real really fun set of tools to play with um, which is completely unlike any other platform like the iPad doesn't really have that and the Switch version doesn't really have that uh, sorry the PC version doesn't really have that
0: how has it been um, revisiting
1: the world of 80 days it's been really nice actually I think one of the nicest things about it has been the sheer The sheer business of making a putting out a game we, you know we've, we've had work to do in putting out a game it's always complicated putting out a game getting it to work and making sure it's solid but but where you haven't got to worry about the content or the design being good like normally when, when we released heaven's vault there's this fear that oh no what if we've made something that's not good that would be awful and you just don't know until it's out and people are playing it and sort of reacting to it whereas 80 days we we know that it's good and that was that was really nice to just have that confidence and so we could just enjoy it really so playing it through again has been kind of a delight and we we've a lot of us have forgotten a lot of what's in the game. So it's been a nice surprise playing it through again and going, oh yeah, I remember this bit or I don't remember this or where did that come from? Or there's a nice line of dialogue we'd forgotten about. And I think we've all found it quite inspiring actually to go back to it and kind of get be able to play it with a little bit of distance because it has been a long time. My, you were asking about favourite routes and I remembered that one of my, my favourite bits is one of the bits that we added last which was uh, there's a plot line with a jewel thief that unlocks once you played the game a few times. It's like on the fourth or fifth playthrough. And I was reading back some of the dialogue from the end of the Jewel Thief plot thread. If you get through this complicated story arc, you get this, this scene at the end. And just really thinking, oh, you know, that's some of the best writing I've ever done. <laughs> it was really nice to see that again. And yeah, it's a good length of time to leave a game and come back to it five years. You really, you really can start to enjoy it and not just see all the flaws, which is what happens when you when you launch something for the first time
0: that's brilliant and uh, so um for those who don't know um how and when uh, can players get their hands on 80 days on nintendo switch it's out right
1: now so all you have to do is pick up your switch and go to the new releases page and it's probably like the first or third game in the list and, and so you can just get it straight away and it costs 10 pounds in the uk i think um it's 13 dollars in america and it It's a funny game because I think people sort of start off and they think, oh, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then they play it once and then maybe they play it twice and then suddenly they've played it 25 times and it's one of those games that they go back to. And it it really isn't like very much else out there. So I think it's if you're even slightly curious about it, it's worth taking a look because you're not going to find another game that does the same thing. I can say that quite confidently, actually, because we released it five years ago and nobody's copied it. So... (laughs) it really is it is its own thing which is yeah, which is quite unusual in games i think
0: well, I, th- I think it's absolutely it's, it's absolutely fantastic and uh, definitely has the this week in video games seal of approval so oh, congratulations thank, you. thank on... you very much that's high praise indeed <laughs> well um congratulations on on the launch this week and uh, i wanted to shift slightly away from 80 days um and and talk a bit about Inkle studios oh. if that's okay
1: yeah, of course.
0: Um, so it's been a it's been a busy year for Inkle this year. What with uh, with Heaven's Vault coming out earlier this year, and yeah. um, eighty days being released on Nintendo Switch. So how are you feeling? Uh, oh, pulled all over the place
1: and completely exhausted. Um, Heaven's Vault was an enormous project it was a four year project it was what we did after 80 days basically we started working on it and we we did a couple of other things in the meantime but um we finished off the sorcery series but we've been working on that game for about four years and it has an entirely constructed hieroglyphic language in it it has a 5000 year history to the game world it has these two core characters and all the the people around them that kind of we developed from scratch and I've never built a game world, a story world, entirely from scratch before. Like, we've adapted things, like, around the world in 80 Days. Um, and that was kind of exhausting and very, very personal. And you end up with this this game that you put so much heart into and so much soul into. that, And then you release it, and there's kind of nothing that there's nothing that can happen to your game which justifies the amount of work that you put into it. Like, there just isn't. Like, there's no amount of praise and there's no amount of money that you can possibly get for a game that makes you sort of feel like you haven't lost something when you've been working on it for four years and then suddenly you're not working on it anymore. So, for me personally... I miss the characters from Heaven's Vault I miss the world powerfully like these are people I've been with for years and now they're gone I've, and I haven't really been dealing with that very well I kind of don't know what to do with myself um, but it's been good to get out from underneath it as a company because it has really occupied us for a very very long time and like the computer game world changes so fast and so drastically that when we started it it really was a different universe than the one we released it into now you know if we'd have released it now heavens will probably have come to the switch straight away it's going to come next year but um once we finish the port of it but but you know it would have been a natural fit i think to launch on that but the switch didn't exist when we started making it um and people's tastes have changed a lot and i think when we started it narrative games were really at the forefront of what people were interested in and now i think narrative games have kind of sidled away a little bit in favor of more kind of straight up gaming and competitive experiences narrative games are on a bit of a downslide in terms of the attention people are paying to them and indie games in general are having a hard time of it right now and and all of that has been quite difficult to to balance against producing something so big and so complicated and intensive as as heaven's vault was so i think we're all kind of reeling from that a little bit and kind of enjoying doing smaller games and ports um it uh, as a change. So obviously we work, we've been working on the switch port of 80 days. We were also working on a few new projects that we haven't announced yet, which are, which are generally just smaller and kind of more compact than heaven's Vault was. Um, and that's been really nice and kind of good for the soul. And I even did some writing. I did some, I did some just straight up writing with no game design. I wrote a game called over the Alps, which is made by stave studios and is on Apple arcade, which is like that's a spider. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. right. Yeah, no, I, I I really enjoyed that, partly because it's a great team and a lovely game and a great setting. It's uh, it's sort of John Buchan and Ian Fleming spy stuff. Um, but also because I didn't have to do anything apart from write it. Like I didn't have to design it. I didn't have to localize it. I didn't have to do any of the production stuff. And it was just really nice to just do my day job, turn up and go home again, <laughs> which I don't get to do when running a company. So that was a lovely holiday, bizarrely. Um, so it's been a kind of bitty sort of year doing lots of different things and we're all we're all still kind of trying to work out which way is up um but that's i think that's just what the creative life is like a little bit um there's no you never know what you're going to be doing in three months time
0: well i i played through uh heaven's vault earlier this year and uh, i thought it was absolutely fantastic so um it's yeah really 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 impressive work and especially creating that world from scratch it's absolutely amazing um you mentioned um that how the sort of gaming world has changed in the time that you um launched originally that the original 80 days until until now what, what what do you think the biggest change is in the gaming industry um for you
1: i think the biggest change that I'm seeing in gaming is the move towards, I kind of tend to call it a monoculture, but, um, and you see, I think think you're seeing this in films and in TV as well, actually, that it used to be the case, and I think about five years ago, it was the case that there was a diversity in what people liked and what people played and what people talked about. And if you said, you know, what are the big games this month? There will be a couple of different things and you could kind of argue about them. And I feel like now everybody seems to be playing the same thing whatever that thing is so this month it's untitled goose game everybody in the entire universe Mm. is playing the untitled goose game and it's a great game it's a load of fun but um but i feel like that's a big change actually that that we seem to be settling on on one thing for everybody to play and everybody to like and if you don't like that thing that can be quite a lonely place to be actually um like in games for the last few months I haven't really I haven't really connected with any of the big titles particularly and so I haven't had that much to play which is strange because there's so many good games out there right now but I I do feel like we're moving towards a sort of monoculture that doesn't talk about games in the plural which it I mean as a creator it's extremely scary but as a player I find it really just kind of really drab actually and really disappointing and yeah i think you see this in films as well though i think it's partly just the way that the internet works honestly i Mm. think it's changing the kind of conversations that we have like um you know this year there was a quentin tarantino movie out and i saw absolutely no discussion about that film on the internet at all and there was also a marvel film out and i saw nothing but discussion about that film and i mean whether you like quentin tarantino or marvel doesn't really matter the point is they're both films with stuff to talk about and with fan bases but one of those fan bases dominated what i saw and the other one disappeared without a trace and that doesn't feel that doesn't feel like a healthy environment to me and i don't know what we do about it i don't know how we how we branch the conversation back out again and kind of encompass more games i wish there was a better way to do that this is stream of consciousness now one thing i'm really interested in is the apple arcade model because it's such a massive shift in the way that games work to just give stuff away and have people dip in and out of games. But it does mean that on Apple Arcade, people have been playing a diversity of games, which they're not yeah. really doing on PlayStation and PC. And I think that's really, really interesting. And it would be bizarre if Apple turned out to be the savior of yeah. like diverse indie gaming. That does not sound like what Apple's position usually is, but but it's not impossible. I think it's it's been actually really fun dipping into the arcade and just trying things I wouldn't normally try. And I would love to do that on Switch in a way that supported developers properly. And I would love to do that on Steam.
0: Um, it seems love- like um, Apple Arcade has uh, actually had a tremendously successful launch. Uh, all, all I hear. Uh, I, I'm um, I'm an Android user myself. I, sure. I, I've got a Mac, um, so I could access the the library but i guess there's a there's a challenge in a lot of our lives now where we've got a lot of streaming services and i sort of have to look at it and go can i really afford kind of another uh, streaming service to sort of add to the add to the list of streaming services that i'm subscribed to but it it really feels like they've yeah. had a successful launch um, with games like uh, what the golf and uh, you know various various other games um what, have you had a chance to play many of the games on apple arcade
1: not very many but a few and the ones i have i've really enjoyed so i played what the golf and it was a lot of fun which is the sort of game i wouldn't have bothered to pick up under any other circumstances i think because... Because it, oh, I, I tend to play games that I think are going to interest me and what the golf is not an interesting game it's just fun <laughs> no, I wouldn't yeah. have let myself do that but yeah to pick it up and play it yeah I really enjoyed it um, I played Neocab which is the game about being a, a cyberpunk taxi driver that's written using, using our engine actually using the ink engine for its storytelling and we know the people who made that a little bit and that's been really it's a really beautiful game it's, it's very very well put together um, and that was an interesting thing to play and I was kind of felt quite excited getting my hands on that a little bit early I think it launched properly today on switch. That's neo cab um but I also have played a few games that I wouldn't normally touch at all. So I played a game called Hexaflip, which is a game about sort of moving a hexagon up a screen. And it looks like a game that was built to be a free-to-play game, and then they just took the free-to-play stuff out. It's got the same kind of structure and design. But it's a lot of fun playing that kind of really hyper-casual mobile game, but without timers and cooldowns and gems and energy and all the accumulated stuff that makes free-to-play yeah. games so irritating to play. That um, actually, that was a, just a really simple game delightful thing to play around with um obviously i wrote i wrote over the alps so i can't tell you how wonderful that is without crossing my fingers behind my back slightly but it it is really good um what else have i played oh i just started tangled tower which has got some lovely voice acting in it actually um so i want to explore that one a little bit more uh i played a little bit of the murder mystery machine i didn't really get into that quite so much but i'm curious to see what it does there's just so many games there's so many games
0: um, it, and and they, all, they all seem of, uh, you know, a certain level of quality as well. You know, a, a lot yeah. of the feedback that I've heard is is really good. And it, it's really interesting for the industry now. We, we we seem to be kind of moving into the, the streaming services, the kind of, um, you know, people have been talking about the kind of Netflix for games or Spotify for games um, for a long time. And um, what, what's your, I mean, what's your opinion as a as a game developer um in in, in that kind of um, business model i think it is i mean it it is definitely
1: terrifying from the point of view of, of a developer because the ultimately to be a developer you've got to somehow get paid enough to survive and you've got to be able to guess how much you're going to get paid so you know how much to spend on your project that's just that's just how business works and The streaming models are all so new and the way that they pay is so Subtle that no one really knows what is going to happen. So um, uh, We put some of our games onto the Google Play Pass, which is on Android uh, Which is a similar kind of thing But we don't actually know what the royalty model is gonna work out like we have no idea So it's very hard to kind of plan for that. You just have to kind of cross your fingers slightly and see what happens. Um, Arcade is interesting because Apple have kind of put a lot of money into funding games as well which obviously gives developers a lot more stability and I think that's part of why the quality is so high mm. and out the other end is that developers have been able to actually concentrate on the bit that they're good at and not worry too much about the business side of things. I mean it's essentially having a good publisher I think. Um, I mean it's hard to know how it will shake out in the long run. I think for people who manage to get into the good books with streaming services it will work out very well it will probably limit the number of people that that's true for though um so we might see a well we probably will see a a heavy crunch in in indie studios but i mean it's so it's so early days and it really depends on how they intend to how they intend to curate and manage these things, like Apple are in a hugely powerful position, and if they change their mind tomorrow about how they fund arcade, then that will affect hundreds of studios you know overnight, and they're very much in a position to do that kind of thing. so it's it's really scary. But what we've seen in the last few years, the last 10 years, 15 years, has been a self-publishing bubble. And they they never, ever survive self-publishing mm. bubbles. <laughs> They're nice while they last, but they always get oversaturated. And then big companies come in and, and sort of start organising and taking control of things. Um, so it's not very surprising that it's going this way. And I think from the consumer, it makes a lot of sense um, from the point of view of players. They just want access to good games without too much risk of buying bad games. And that that is reasonable. We shall see where it goes. It's it's hard to know. Um, I prefer it to the future in which every game is free to play, though. I yes. really do. Um, <laughs> I definitely prefer it to that, which is where it looked like the industry was going five years ago. Um, so I, I'm I'm relatively optimistic that some good will come out of it, but all big change comes with massive cost, and no one knows what that cost is going to be or who's going to bear it, and that is scary.
0: And the and the, the technology and the, the landscape uh, changing around us as well with um, you know high high speed internet coming and um, that's going to be you know high speed Wi-Fi the actual um, the mobile devices that we carry around in our pocket now um, you know uh, probably. Um, some are more powerful than Nintendo Switches and you know another oh, yeah. another kind of consoles. Um, so it's really interesting that it's a it's kind of a, a frictionless kind of environment for the for the player. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that 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 that'll be that'll be really interesting to to see how all that pans out. I've taken up plenty of your time today, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us on this week in video games. Um, so we'll 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 wrap it up there. But um, I, I want to say thank you once again, and congratulations for the launch of 80 Days on Nintendo Switch. Uh, and I wish um, you and Inkle Studios all the best of luck in the near future. Thank you
1: very much, Tim. Pleasure chatting to you.
0: That was me there talking to John Ingold from Inkle Studios, and thank you once again, John, for talking to me. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk about 80 Days and everything that's going on with Inkle Studios. So, thanks very much, John. Brilliant stuff. Talking about 80 Days, let's get into my review of the game. Probably all heard of the classic Jules Verne work of Around the World in 80 Days. However, I'm willing to bet that you've not experienced it like this. 80 Days is a wonderful choose-your-own-adventure-style game that uses Verne's text as a basis, but takes you on adventures all around the globe. 80 Days is a game about adventures. Fogg and Passepartout start off in London, where Fogg has made a wager so he can get around the world in 80 days. So the race is on. The player takes on the character of Passepartout. Fogg's assistant on this grand outing of a global scale. We start the game in London in 1872 and soon we're off to Paris. From there, the game opens up and you can go all over the world, ultimately trying to get back to where you started in London. There's over 200 cities full of stories, side quests and interesting characters to meet. The objective of the game is simple. Get around the world in 80 days, on time and within your budget. There's some interesting and unique game mechanics in 80 Days, such as bringing in the right amount of luggage, managing the relationship with your master, and trading. A vintage bottle of wine from Paris can fetch a huge sum of money in another city. Jewelry and scents can be used to butter up other characters you meet in the game to reveal pieces of information. Managing Fog's mood plays a part, and how and when you can travel also plays a big part in this too. Travel aboard the luxurious Orient Express in a comfortable cabin and Fogg will likely be pleased. However, travel on a rickety old car and he's likely to be less so. During my playthrough, I didn't pay attention to the time when I was wandering the city late at night, leaving Fogg and myself without a hotel. My master was not best pleased. Managing the money comes into play also as you start out with approximately £3,000, but as you travel and stay in hotels, you can choose various means to get to other cities. This fund is going to quickly deplete. Managing the money, luggage, time and a fog's mood all add up to a unique and engrossing game that captured my imagination. The core of the game is reading, experiencing and enjoying the text of Jules Verne's masterpiece, beautifully adapted by Inkle Studios, John Ingold and Joe Humphrey, who also create Heaven's Vault, together with lead writer Meg Jayanth. As well as reading the text, a player is asked throughout to make decisions and navigate through conversations, much like a choose-your-own-adventure book. With these choices, you can choose to be ruthless, reckless, careful, or romantic. The amount of player choice here is vast, which allows you to really role-play in the game if you choose to. I really enjoyed the sense of wonder with 80 Days, and it surprised me. The many ways to get around the world, all the variables and the characters to meet, mean the game will be different each time you play through. Some characters and storylines open up only on the third or fourth playthrough, like the side quest with the jewel thief. For those who are put off by the text heavy nature of the game, it may not be for you. This game is much like an interactive novel, and the book comes to life and allows you to navigate your way through the literature. The cities too can feel a little bit bland and similar, without that immersive feel that would really bring the game up a notch. Overall though, I enjoyed 80 Days and would recommend it. It's not like any other game I've played before, and not normally the type of game I would play. But I was pleasantly surprised by the game, and if you're a fan of Jules Verne's work, then it's definitely the game for you. The variety in the game offers up high replayability factor, and the adventures with Fog and Passepartout make this game a memorable one. So the game was developed by Inkle Studios, it's available on Nintendo Switch, PC, Mac, ios and android so the game was released on october the 1st 2019 on switch but it's also available on pc and mac and mobile devices too and i gave the game a final score of 82 out of 100 so what did you think of 80 days let me know and send me an email on podcast at com, or tweet me at twivg podcast on twitter that's it for 80 days but if you want to support this week in video games content then head on over to patreon.com forward slash this week in video games in exchange for supporting the show you get shout outs discord roles, exclusive patreon content polls special design podcast scripts and stickers so if you enjoyed this week of video games content then sign up to patreon it would be great to see you there so next up let's have a look at the charts So in the all platform weekly charts this week at number 10 we've got Forza Horizon 3 at number 9 this week we've got Minecraft the Xbox edition at number 8 this week it's Sea of Thieves which is down one place from last week's number 7 and number 7 this week it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe the mainstay of the charts this year and number 6 this week we've got a new entry it's Ghostbusters the video game remastered at number 5 this week down three places from last week's number 2 it's Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening and number four this week, it's Gears 5. and number three this week, it's Borderlands 3. We've got a new entry at number two with Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. And holding the number one spot this week is FIFA 20 from EA Sports. Well, that's it for the charts this week. Let's have a look at what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks. coming up in the next couple of weeks got a lot of good games coming out so on the 15th we've got children of mortar that's coming out on the playstation 4 xbox one switch and pc also on the 15th we've got overwatch that's coming out on the switch we've got another re-release on nintendo switch as well on the 15th with the witcher 3 wild hunt on the 16th we've got little town hero that's coming out on nintendo switch and that's from the makers of the pokemon game so i'm really looking forward to that one On the 17th we've got Felix the Reaper That's on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC and Mac We've got Travis Strikes Again No More Heroes Complete Edition That's on PlayStation 4 and PC Then on the 18th we've got quite a few games We've got Lovecraft Tales, The Whisperer in the Darkness That's coming out on PC We've got Plants vs. Zombies, The Battle for the Neighborville. It's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, We've got Return of the Obra Dinn. It's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Uh, We've also got Ring Fit Adventure. That's coming out on Nintendo Switch. Then on the 22nd, we've got The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 3. Coming out on PS4. We've got WWE 2K20. Then on the 23rd, we've got lonely mountains downhill that's ps4 xbox one switch pc mac and linux then on the 24th we've got cat quest 2 that's coming out on nintendo switch then on the 25th we've got some big hitters here so we've got call of duty modern warfare that's ps4 xbox one and pc we've got Mendy evil that's coming out on ps4 as an exclusive and then we've got the outer worlds that's coming out on ps4 xbox one and pc so, loads of good games there coming out in the next couple of weeks, and uh, I think for me, the ones that jump out for me are Little Town Hero, uh, Call of Duty, and The Outer World. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff there coming out. Really, really looking forward to that. Finally, this week, let's have a look at What the Golf. <laughs> What? what
1: the? What
0: When is golf? Not really golf, but actually always golf. What the Golf is a silly physics-based golf parody where every golf course is a new and surprising type of golf. I don't know about you, but I've tried to like golf. Probably my best experience with the game is living in a shared house playing Tiger Woods. Me and some friends used to commentate on each other's golf in different accents while going around different holes on the Xbox 360. Sometimes it being Australian, sometimes South African, sometimes Scottish. Real golf, on the other hand, has been somewhat less fun. Mainly trying to hack a ball out of a bunker in 30 degree heat, sweating with suntan lotion melting down my face whilst being covered in sand. So, not my kind of fun. What the golf is the exact opposite of this experience. Funny, silly, unexpected and more often than not laugh out loud entertainment. At the core of the game, it's a simple golf simulator. Simply swing with a club and hit the ball. However, it's more often not the end of the swing that unexpected things happen. Sometimes you hit a ball and you'll fly across the course yourself. And there's a delightful physics simulator at the heart of what the golf and incorporates little surprises. Each course mixes things up a little bit. It's golf, but not as we know it. You'll be driving, shooting and snowboarding. Each hole offers up its own challenge between the holes where a lot of fun can be had. There's a bunch of random events in what the golf, most of which are best experienced first hand, but the characters will steal your ball or the flag that you're aiming for will just get up and run away. What looks simple at first may not feel so simple when you try it. For an extra challenge, each hole has three ranks. So in these new challenges, you normally complete the hole in a number of strokes or before the time limit runs out. Each hole also has a final challenge, which is normally a different twist on the level or a new activity completely. Beat each course on all three ranks and you get a trophy. One of the most fun things about What the Golf are the references to other video games like Guitar Hero or Portal. Again, these surprises are best left unspoiled, so dive in there and see them from yourself. It's not often the game references so many others and in such fun ways too. In summary, What the Golf is fun, hilarious and has a good pick up and play feel to it where you can play in short bursts as it was released as part of the Apple Arcade package which appears to have an excellent curation of top notch games. The general reception of What The Golf has been overwhelmingly positive and on playing the game I can definitely recommend it to others. So the game was developed by TriBand, it's available on Nintendo Switch soon on Apple Arcade now and also PC via the Epic Game Store. It was originally released in September 2019. I gave the game a final score of 81 out of 100. So what did you think of What the Golf? Send me an email on podcast at com, or tweet me at twivg podcast on Twitter. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to get involved in the show, email me on podcast at com, or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories and anything you've heard on the show. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. So search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in that conversation. Thanks once again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a good week. I'll talk to you in a few weeks time. But for now, I'll see you soon.